there! Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! We are finally going to close out our series that we've been in since January. Um, We have been talking about war for over four months, and uh, we started out talking about the war that we all have within this battle of our flesh, between our flesh and our spirit, uh, and all the pitfalls and how to navigate through that. Uh, And then we moved, we shifted, (coughs) shifted a couple of months ago, moving from this internal battle that we have going on, and we talked about the fact that we're also being attacked from the outside, from the devil and and from his minions. And so we have for months uh, been in this series on the armor of God, Um, and we have diligently gone through this thing. We're going to throw a picture up on the screen uh, of uh, the Roman Praetorian armor that was worn that Paul would have uh, referenced when he tells us to, to armor up. And man, I can just, if you're new here, all these sermons are banked online. Uh, this has been a, a, a very thorough and a very intense sermon. And so we're going to close this thing out this morning. And there's just one more thing I want to mention as we close this series out, something very important. Uh, but first, let me just tell you a little story, a little true story. Uh, about myself. When I uh, was a baby, before I was uh, even a year old, my parents divorced. Uh, and so I, I grew up uh, with, with my mom for the, almost the first 13 years of my life and then had to circumstances move me uh, in with my dad, which really was a good thing. It saved my life. Um, but those, those years with my mom, um, when she worked, she always did the same thing. Uh, we, we moved around a lot from town to town, and, uh, but, but every time we got established in a new town, she would go out and get a job, and it was always the same job. She was a bank teller, uh, and so <clears throat> she was skilled at counting and handing out and handling money, and uh, I'll never forget, she came home one day, and she was all excited, uh, and, and she proceeded to tell me uh, that a guy had brought a $100 bill into the bank. Uh, and he wanted to exchange it for 520s, um, but she, uh, she called him. It was a counterfeit $100 bill. And so he got into trouble, and, uh, you know, there was a little write-up in the paper about her. And I said, so, Mom, how, how did you know? Like, did it, did it when, when you saw him give you that, that $100 bill, what, what was it about that $100 bill that, that made you think it was a counterfeit? And she said, I knew right away. She said, I handle and count money all day long, and as soon as uh, I touched it, as soon as I felt it, I I knew that there was something wrong. I could just feel it. I could feel the difference. Um, With that in mind, as a precursor of that story, I want to take you to 2 Corinthians as we launch uh, our last sermon here uh, on the armor of God, which is entitled, What to Do When My Armor Doesn't Fit. Uh, And so I want to take you to 2 Corinthians 11. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if you're visiting, uh, the, the, the normal flow of the sermon is going to be disrupted this morning because we're just doing tailings. We're just doing odds and ends and trying to, trying to put a wrap on this thing. So in 2 Corinthians, Paul 
is talking about men and women who would be called false workmen or false apostles. Did you know that at every church you go to, that man or woman who gets in the pulpit, not all of them have your best interest in their hearts? Not all of them have Jesus on the forefront of their mind. There are some really bad preachers, some really bad church leaders, some false prophets and some false apostles. And so Paul is addressing that in here, and he is going to address the subject of counterfeiting. Much like my mom knew that there's something doesn't feel right about this $100 bill, Paul says there are people that preach a false gospel, and there's just something not right about it. And I want you to see this, 2 Corinthians 11. Picking up in verse 13, <coughs> Paul says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. So they look like preachers and teachers and elders and deacons and celebrate recovery leaders. These are movers and shakers. They look like they're leading, but they're disguising themselves. They're counterfeiting themselves. And here's why they do that, because they're following their leader, verse 14. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises or counterfeits himself as an angel of light. So it is to no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. So in this passage, we, we learn and we see that Satan is a counterfeiter. So I would say it this way, and, and we've gone through this uh, a myriad of times here, but everything in this world that God has created, Satan has imitated, but he's twisted it. It's a cheap knockoff version of the real thing. Everything that you can think of that has ever been created, Satan has imitated it. You, you, you can go to any arena you want. You can think of music or arts or religion or science or history. Satan will, will, will take what God has done or created and he'll twist it and present you a knockoff version. All right, and he counterfeits everything from big to small. Everything that God created, Satan has made a cheap knockoff version. So I don't have a lot of time because we, we've got a long way to go here. But let me just give you an example, just kind of a case study for this creation imitation thing. Think about your relationships. God created you. You are not meant to be alone. We as humans are created to be relationship beings. We are meant to, to be in relationship. Now, God has created relationships to, to run in a certain way. Uh, if you want your relationships to, to run smooth, uh, you can read God's Word, and we see how relationships are supposed to, uh, supposed to go. Every relationship that you are in, your spouse, your, your children, your friends, your coworkers, um, they, they all have a commonality. In our relationships, we are supposed to treat each other with kindness and compassion. We're supposed to look out for the best interest of the other person. We're supposed to live the golden rule to treat them as we want to, as we want to be treated. Now, if we function in our relationships that way, and if we equally yoke ourselves to a spouse that is also going to function that way, our relationships are going to be swimming, swimmingly. They're going to be smoother than normal because we're following God's pattern. Now, watch this. Satan imitates everything that God's created. So Satan will take relationships and give you a cheap knockoff version. 
It's not about being kind. It's not about being compassionate. It's not about looking out for their best interest. It's not about uh, doing to them what you want them to do for you. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's a carnal, worldly, cheap, counterfeit knockoff. And in Satan's economy, here's how relationships work. You get what you can get out of that person and then move on. Like you just empty them of, of whatever and move on. When you get tired of them or you get bored or conflict ensues, just, just move on. And, and, and you don't do to others uh, as you would have them do unto you. You, you. you just stick it to them before they stick it to you. And so uh, that's just one example of something that God creates that Satan twists and, and counterfeits. Am I making sense? And you can, you can do that with anything in, in life, these knockoff versions. So Satan counterfeits everything. And I want you to hear me, including the gospel, including the good news, including the message. Satan will take the message, twist it, counterfeit it. And so you're getting some of Jesus, but it's not the right Jesus. And it's this false counterfeit gospel. We see this play out in, uh, to, the, to the Galatians when Paul writes to them. Here's what he says in Galatians 1, 6, and 7. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. <clears throat> Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So a counterfeit gospel was being preached by counterfeit apostles. And Paul had to address this over and over and over again in the New Testament. So I'm going somewhere with this. This got me thinking this week. If Satan can counterfeit anything from big to small, if he can even counterfeit an apostle and he can counterfeit the gospel message and he can counterfeit a different Jesus, if he is the great counterfeiter, if he can, can counterfeit everything, including the gospel, if he can do that, I'm convinced that he can also counterfeit the armor of God. He can give you a false suit to put on. You can think you're strapping up and putting on the armor of God, but it's a cheap, knockoff, counterfeit version. And so we've been talking for four months about going into battle. So before we go into battle, we better make sure we have on the correct armor. That we don't arm ourselves with our flesh, but rather we arm ourselves with the Spirit of God, which we've been talking about for months. <clears throat> and so here's what I love about this series. I've had a lot of interaction with you, with people calling, writing, text messaging, emailing, and kind of saying, listen, man, when, when you talked about that rhema, that spoken word, uh, and, and to not just think the scripture, and I quoted it out loud, I couldn't believe it. It worked. And when you talked about verbalizing your prayer, and, and so I, I'm seeing a lot of headway in some of the battles that you're facing. But on the converse side, I've got people saying, I'm doing all that, but I still, something's not right. I'm still not getting headway. It just doesn't feel right. It doesn't seem right. It might be because you're putting on a counterfeit suit of armor. <clears throat> so we have five children, 
And I remember <clears throat> Lindy being pregnant all, with all five of them, obviously, but the first two <clears throat> I remember uh, very vividly. Uh, Reagan, who is now 16, and my son Jay, who is now 15. When, when Lindy got pregnant with, with those two uh, and she started, and I, I really tried to find a, <clears throat> a nice way to say this in the 9 o'clock service, <clears throat> when she started expanding, <clears throat> as pregnant women do, right? She started to grow a little bit, and, and you know, that, that happened. Um, a lot of times when that happens to a couple, the, the husband will also expand, right? And so it's called sympathy weight or something for a pregnant woman. And so I know how I expanded, and it wasn't just for, from sympathy. It was Lindy was having a craving, and she wanted cheese tots at midnight from Sonic, so I went and got two of them, one for her and one for me. And so the net result is <clears throat> over the first three years of our marriage, I gained 35 pounds, 35 pounds. Now, I carry it different because I'm six foot five, but it was there, all right? <clears throat> now, the other thing, if you're kind of new around here that you may or may not know about me is I hate dressing up. Like, this is as dressy as I, I, I get. Like, I would, if I could get away with it, I would wear shorts and a t-shirt every Sunday and preach, but I'm not going to have you look at my white legs and blind everyone. Uh, but I, I, I don't like dressing up. So the net result is I have one suit. It's a black suit. It is my multi-purpose suit. I call it, affectionately, my marrying and burying suit. So if you're going to have a wedding, I'm going to put that suit on and I'm going to marry you. And if something tragic happens and you die the next day, I'm going to put that suit back on. I'm going to bury you in it. It's my Mary and Barry. So it's a black suit. All right. So the net result is uh, we started having children and I started expanding and my suit didn't fit. So Lindy had to, or I went and bought, I went to JCPenney and bought my big boy suit because I was a big boy. Uh, and it was, it was several sizes bigger um, because I had gotten several sizes bigger. And I threw the old one away. So I had this big old suit that I did weddings and funerals in, uh, and then something beautiful happened. I started exercising and eating better, and I lost all this weight. I mean, like 35 pounds, it just fell off of me, right? Well, the problem was this suit didn't fit anymore. So now I had to go buy another suit, my skinny boy suit. And so I, I bought that. <clears throat> well, one Friday I was here, and I'd, I'd had a wedding across town, and I, I realized that, oh, I forgot my suit. Well, Lindy was going to come to church, and so I said, hey, do you mind grabbing my black suit? I've got to get to this wedding. And she said, sure. And so she, she brings it to me, and I'm like 30 minutes before the wedding starts. I'm like, I have got to go. And so I pull the suit out, and I start to put it on. It's the big one. Okay, it's 35 pounds ago. And like, I look like Steve Harvey in that thing, like this big, long, flowing jacket, this huge suit. I come strolling into the wedding. You know, I've got my belt cinched and I've got extra knots in it. I mean, I looked ridiculous. I'm sure I was a freak show at this poor young couple's wedding because of my big flappy tent suit. Uh, it, 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 was, it was awful. I had the wrong suit on. Now, where am I going with this? I think... More often than, than we are aware of, that when the enemy attacks, remember we've talked about the enemy getting up close, he's attacking, and, and we know we've got to armor up. We constantly make the mistake of putting on man's armor. We put our flesh back on. 
the, the, the defeated flesh by the cross, we put that back on to fight instead of putting on this supernatural spiritual armor of God. We're putting on that old fat suit instead of the suit that fits. And I think that's a reason why many people are kind of stuck where they are. Remember the story of David and Goliath? I'm certainly not going to insult your intelligence by telling you the whole story, but you have this big eight-foot Philistine giant who is ridiculing Israel. They're at war, and he's just telling Israel, hey, send your soldiers out. Nobody wants to fight this, this guy because he's a giant. And, and, and finally, David, this little shepherd, he's not a boy, he's a teenager. He's had enough of it. And so he says, you know what? I'll, I'll kill the giant. None of y'all want to do it. I'll do it. And you know the story. He goes out onto the battlefield. Uh, what does he have in his hand? A slingshot, right? A slingshot and a couple rocks. And, and you know, giant, the giant comes out and he's like, what an insult. You're sending this little peon to kill me with a little stick. I, I, I'm going to feed his flesh to the air. And, and David's just smiling, and he lets that rock go. And Scripture says that the rock got, it, it, it went through his, it got embedded in his skull. And the giant falls, plop. David takes his sword out, cuts his head off. Israel wins this great victory. It, it is this wonderful, wonderful story. David and Goliath. Now, I think that the story of David and Goliath illustrates what we've been talking about for four months. You see, in the story, you're David. And in the story, Satan is Goliath. And we can complain about it, and we cannot like it, and we can gripe to God about it. But the fact of the matter is this, he's coming for you. If you wear the name Christ, he's going to attack. He is coming for you. He is, God is not going to spare us from that. It, it is going to happen. Now, whether or not we experience victory depends on our armor. Are you wearing your own armor, your own flesh? When situations come and you're under attack, do, do you fight with your own words, with your own actions, with your own strength, with your own feelings, with your own prowess, with your own finances, with your own well-being in mind? Or are you wearing God's supernatural armor gifted to us by the Holy Spirit? What I want to do is I want to drop you into 1 Samuel 17 for a minute. Right before David walks out on this field, and kills this giant. <clears throat> right before this, he goes and he tells the king, nobody's going to do anything about this giant. I will. I will kill him. And I, I, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. And, and Saul is immediately concerned. He says, well, wait a minute. You're a shepherd boy. You're just a shepherd. I've got warriors on the front line and they won't fight. You're going to do it? And then David reminds him of how hazardous it, was, hazardous it was to be a shepherd. And in 1 Samuel 17, he tells this story. He says, hey, one time a lion grabbed one of the lambs, and I grabbed the lion by its mane. And I started shaking that thing until he spit the, the lamb out, and then I clubbed that lion to death. And I've not only killed lions, but I've killed bears and maybe tigers. Oh, my, I don't know, uh, right? But so he, and so he is... He, he's in this diatribe, David is, about 
it's okay, I can handle a giant, and that's where we're going to drop right into this scripture, and I want you to see something pretty cool. 1 Samuel 17, we'll pick up in verse 37. Right in the middle of this description, David says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Look at verse 38. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. So Saul's saying, listen, you're a shepherd. I'm a king. I'm a warrior. I've got the world's best armor. It, it, the least I can do is here. You don't have anything to put on to go fight this giant. Take mine. Put it on. You, you need armor, okay? Verse 39. Or 38. He, he put the helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. That's the breastplate that we were talking about in this series. And David strapped his sword over his, his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. And let me stop right there, because a lot of times in like these little Bible storybooks, we picture David being like this five-year-old kid and putting on like grown-up clothes, and obviously it didn't fit. Now, David was a, was a young teenage man here. Um, now, Saul was incredibly tall. Perhaps it didn't fit, but that's not what the text says. The text says, David didn't say it doesn't fit. He says, it hasn't, I haven't tested them. So look what happens next. So David said, I cannot go with these for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. David says, listen, Saul, I appreciate you wanting me to give you this, give me your armor, but I've never worn this before. And it's your armor, it's not mine. I have not tested these. I, I put it on, something doesn't feel right. I just can't move the way I'm supposed to move. I feel constricted. I can't wear these. And I'm really not even worried about it because the Lord has already promised me victory. I don't need your helmet. I don't need your breastplate. I don't need your sword. In fact, I don't need any kind of man-made armor. I just need something of God. How about a rock? Yeah, I'll grab a rock. That's all I need to defeat this giant. But in the text, we're told that he didn't pick up one rock, did he? How many rocks did he pick up? Five. Picks up five rocks, and armed with those five rocks and the tools he uses to tend sheep, he goes to fight a giant. He's not armed with armor made by flesh, but he's got God with him. Now, you already know how the story goes because I done told you, right? He kills the giant and it ends in victory. But I want you to go to verse 14 again. Look at our verse 40 again. Look at verse 40. So you've got one giant to be killed, but David took five stones. Now, I've heard skeptics argue this about David's faith in the Lord. And here's what they'll say. Well, you know, David, this King David that you guys always talk about in the church being such this man after God's own heart and this man of faith, if he had so much faith, why didn't he just pick up one rock? Why did he pick up five? I mean, did he not believe God was going to give him the victory? One giant, one rock, that's all you need, one bullet. And so people will, will argue that. So what I want to do real quickly um, is I want to tell you traditionally what I've been taught, uh, how to explain this in mainstream evangelicalism. 
Um, and, and, but then I want to go a little deeper uh, with, with something else. So <clears throat> um, here's kind of the mainstream explanation. Why did David take five stones? Well, you're taught in churches that David took up five stones because Goliath wasn't the only giant running around. In fact, he had relatives, cousins. Some, some even believe that they were his brothers and they were all giants like him. You can see, you can read all this in 2 Samuel 21, um, but we're, we're told that these other four giants that remained after Goliath died, each of them had six fingers on each hand, six toes. They were eight foot tall. And after David becomes king, he systematically hunts all four of these guys down because they're bad dudes like Goliath and kills them. I just want you to see it in passing. 2 Samuel 21, 22 says this. These four, these are the giants, were descended from the giants in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. So listen, this explanation sounds plausible, yeah? You got one giant, but you're taking five stones because David was going to take out Goliath, and if his family wanted to get involved, then he would rock them to sleep just like he did Goliath. He came prepared. And, and that sounds plausible. That sounds reasonable. I could say, yeah, I could, I could see that, and, and I think there's some validity to that. However, if we just dig a tiny bit deeper, just a little deeper, I think we can begin to see some real beauty here. Now, I'm going to do my best to not like totally derail this sermon and confuse you. Um, In Isaiah chapter 11, uh, it's this beautiful chapter. And in Isaiah chapter 11, there are these seven descriptions of the Spirit of God. They're called the seven manifestations of the Holy Spirit. In other words, these are seven ways that the Holy Spirit will live and move and, and work in and among you, right? Okay, well, of those seven expressions, one of the ways that the Holy Spirit expresses or manifests itself is through power. In particular, perpetual motion, power that involves movement. The Holy Spirit is always moving, always powerful. So go back to Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit descended and the church started. How did the Holy Spirit come upon everyone? Remember that? A rush of wind, violent wind, it says. Like this powerful, moving wind. All right, so go back to Isaiah Isaiah 11. The seven manifestations of the Holy Spirit. All right, I want to focus on number five because David took five stones. Do you know what the fifth manifestation of the Holy Spirit is? Power. Power in movement. Now, when you begin to dig a little deeper in in biblical numerology, uh, five has a lot of different meanings in the Bible, but but one one of the major meanings of the number five in the Bible is it's associated with power and strength, okay? Now, if you drill down into this, you begin to see and you begin to understand that the Bible is not just words written on a paper, that the Bible is living and it's active right? And that, that the Bible holds patterns and types and rhythms and nuances together. Um, and, and that's kind of what knits God's Word together. So let's drill down a little bit on this. The number five in the Bible represents several things. Predominantly, 
that being of power that's associated by movement, okay? The fifth way the Holy Spirit manifests himself is through that power. David, when he's going to kill a giant, knows he only needs one stone, but he doesn't pick up one, he picks up five. Are you starting to see the rhythm and the pattern here? Okay, now we're going to go even further and further back because I think this is just beautiful and, and you can't make this stuff up. Go all the way back to the book of beginnings, Genesis chapter 1, during the creation account. Now I'm going to ask you a trivia question. You don't have to say it out loud, but in, try to answer it in your head. Do you remember or do you know what did God create on the fifth day? Think about that for a second. The fifth day of creation. What did God create? Well, let's go to Genesis chapter 1, and we'll look at day 5. We're going to pick up in verse 20, and I want you to see this. This is creation. Genesis 1, pick up in verse 20. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. How many of you guessed fish? You're like the first service. Nobody got it right. All right. So, yeah. So he created fish on the, on the fifth day. And let the birds fly above the earth. How many guessed birds? Okay, so there's one smart person in here. All right, just kidding. <laughs> I'm joking. I, if you would ask me, I would have been like, I'm not sure. Um, so he created the, the fish and he created the birds. The look at verse 21. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that, don't miss this, moves. Moves. There's movement with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. So God creates birds and fish on the fifth day. I know some of you are like, where are you going with this? this I, you're talking about the armor of God and David killing a giant. And now we're into birds. All right, I'm going to try. Now, so think about all the birds and all the fish that God spoke into existence just by his word. Now, here's where it kind of gets cool to me. What do birds and fish have in common? I think the greatest thing that they have in common is that they both migrate. They're constantly moving. They're constantly in motion. All right, so think about birds for a minute. I'll put a picture of the birds here migrating, right? You'll see birds like maybe it's the end of summer and you'll say, oh, they're flying south for the winter or, you know, in spring, oh, they're flying back. And, and birds, uh, they fly all over the world. They're constantly moving, changing of seasons. They fly from here to there, always moving, okay? Fish migrate, all over the ocean. They swim from here to there based on seasons. They're always moving. They're always migrating. Where did the instinct for the birds and the fish to move and migrate come from, do you think? Do you think they just like evolved that way and they were like, oh, well, I guess I should move? No. It came upon creation. Here's what I want you to understand. The, this power that fueled the first global migration of birds and fish is the same power 
that God used on the fifth day of creation. It's associated with power by movement. Birds and fish are always moving. Now, let's connect the dots. We're, we're, I'm almost done here. Go back to 1 Samuel 17. All right, remember, David's going to kill a giant. Saul says, you can't go out of the house looking like that. Put this armor on. David puts it on and says, man, this doesn't feel right. I don't like it. I, I haven't been tested. I don't want this stuff. I got what I need. And, and so he goes, he gets five stones. He takes his slingshot out because he says, listen, this armor was not made for me. I don't need any man-made armor. I, I, all I need is what God provides. Not one stone, five stones, because five is the number of power, especially by movement. Now look what it says in 1 Samuel 17, 48. This is right before the rock is released. This is right before the battle ensues. I want you to see this because it's beautiful. Verse 48 of 1 Samuel 17. When the Philistine, that's Goliath, arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. Now, what I want you to notice in that verse is the description on how David approached Goliath. What did it say? Ran. So in other words, right, when the battle was about to ensue, David didn't like kind of walk out all cringed down like, oh man, all right? Or David didn't like army crawl and try to sneak up on him or he didn't try to go around the back and surprise him. When it was time for battle, David ran. And I love this, because here's where it gets, gets interesting. When you look up that word, David ran, in 1 Samuel 17, 48, it is the Hebrew word for ran, which is called rutz. Do you know it's the exact same root word used to describe the movement of the creatures that God created on day five? So here's the point. Quick, flowing movement is always a trademark of those who are filled with the Holy Spirit of God because the Holy Spirit is smart and the Holy Spirit knows something that we need to be reminded of. We've got to continue to move because it's a lot harder for Satan to attack a moving target. So the Holy Spirit is not going to put you here and say, just stand here, you're on your own. No, the Holy Spirit is going to move you and direct you and migrate you. And so God God says, listen, put on my armor, surround it with prayer, but be guided by the Holy Spirit. Let him migrate you. Let him move you. Just like instinctually the fish and the birds know when it's time to leave, know when it's time to swim away. The Holy Spirit will do the same thing for you. This is the supernatural armor of God. David said to Saul, I can't wear this stuff. This is man-made armor. It doesn't fit right. It, it, it might make sense to you, Saul if I was fighting a man, but I'm not fighting a man. I'm fighting a 12-fingered, 
toed, eight-foot giant who has four big bad brothers, and I need to be able to move. And what's going to move me is the Holy Spirit who is with me, just like he moves the birds and the bees and the fish in the sea. In other words, I don't have to reattach my fleshly armor and fight like man. No, I can fight like the man of God, and, and, and I don't have to look good and have people say, look at him or, or look at her all the while to get whooped again. No, I put on the armor of God. Why? Because you're not fighting a man or a woman. You're fighting a great beast. You're fighting the most formidable opponent you'll ever face. The great accuser, the great liar, the great manipulator, and he loves it when you just stand still in your faith. When you refuse to move, when you refuse to let the Holy Spirit migrate and move you and you say, no, 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 I'm not doing that. You're a sitting duck. You're not fighting a man. We're fighting beasts, right? Isn't that how Paul opens up this whole passage we've been in for months? Ephesians 6, 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. In other words, these are the beasts that we're fighting. You can't defeat them with your own flesh your own power. You can't defeat them with somebody else's armor. You can't put on my armor and, and go out and try to fight the devil. God has designed a, an, an armor specifically for you. The only way to defeat him is with the armor of God that gives us confidence to rush into battle because he is what moves us. Because in him we live, we move, and we have our being. With the armor of God on you, the spirit or the sword of the spirit, the spoken word of God in you, Jesus all around you, and the Holy Spirit moving you, you can't lose. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.